Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So funky. <laughs> oh, God, Laja, always Indian massive. This episode is Side Effects of Being West Indian. If you care about your listening, put the hand in the air. Get something on wave. I'm not going to be at that level the whole episode. But. I want to be. Big up all of my Caribbean peoples. This is our episode. It's all about us. And we are about to get into it. We have our guest, publicist to Beyonce, Jesse Smollett, uh, Chloe and Hallie, and Grenadian, Miss Yvette Noel Shore, <laughs> Spice Island, Grenadier to the wall. It's going down. But first... I don't even want to do a gem drop in for this one. I just want to go straight into the DMTs because y'all had so many questions. So I want to big up all of my West Indian folks because y'all really showed up in my DMTs. All the flags. All the flags. You know, we could wave a flag. We. So it's going to happen. We're going to have an extended DMT. You hear the level that I'm at right now. I'm at a high level. I'm literally existing in like the existential expression of soca right now. I'm at 168 BPMs. Let we go. DMT. We're serving it. First off, I want to say this. You know, I think that there's a misconception for folks on, like, what makes folks West Indian or Carib. Because when you look at all the flags, you think, oh, like, it's just those that are living in the Caribbean islands, which are, of course, the the set of islands that stretches from beneath Florida all the way down to South America. So, you know, we have Jamaica, you have all the way down to Trinidad. Then, of course, you have Grenada, which is north of Trinidad to the west of Barbados, to the east of Venezuela, and to the south of St. Vincent, and all the way up. And I think a lot of us feel just think of Caribbean islands as like Jamaica, Trinidad, Grenada, Barbados, Bahamas, and call it a day. And that's simply not the case. The reality is, is that the CARICOM, which is the organization of islands that consider themselves to be Caribbean, are not just islands. You have Guyana in there, and Guyana is on the continent of South America. You also have Panama in there. And Panama, I'm not sure if Panama is in the CARICOM officially, but they be in the parade. They be in that parade on Labor Day in Eastern, on Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn. And Panama is in Central America. And the reason why there's such a strong West Indian presence there is because a lot of Jamaicans and people from the islands went to Panama to help build the Panama Canal. And so there is a huge um, West Indian presence there. And Panamanians have an accent that's song just like this. You know, so there is an actual presence that doesn't mean that they're not West Indian just because they're in Central America. There is an actual Carib extension there. So the same way that there's like such a Southern presence in Chicago from the exodus of folks after slavery that went up north. So we have to expand our consciousness of that, especially, you know, my Jamaicans, I know y'all like to be acting like you're the only island in the Caribbean. You're not! not. Okay, and for anyone who's listening that is not West Indian, please understand that there is a bevy of different cultural specificities on each island. You know, we're all not just a monolith and there's different cuisines. Listen, Jamaican cuisine is not the same as Grenada or Guyanese or Trinidadian cuisine. All right. Like there's very specific things like roti in Jamaica, not the same as roti in Trinidad. You know, there's also like different styles of speaking the the. The actual dialects are so different from island to island. If you've never heard of Major Hype, go on Instagram and check out Major Hype. He is an incredible comedian who oftentimes does videos where he just does the nuances of each different island's um, dialect and how they would respond to certain things. And it is fucking genius. And if I could get him on this show, we would do a grenade. We would do a side effects of being a West Indian part two. And also, just a side side note. 
Allen's Bakery in Brooklyn is my favorite bakery of all time. My godmother used to bring me hado bread from Allen's Bakery as a Christmas gift. Okay, that's how serious it was. And they continue to bring me hado bread when I'm in New York and show love. So if you are out in New York and you're in Brooklyn, go ahead and visit Allen's Bakery. We Let's get into these questions. DMT. It should be like DM Ovaltine or DM Milo. What are the differences in those of us who were brought up in the Caribbean and those who were raised outside of the Caribbean by West Indian parents? Does this differ by island? Side note, I'm Trini, but I'm claiming honorary Grenadian status. I lived there for a year when I was nine. <laughs> okay, my nutmegs is strength. Well, I think, I mean, for obvious reasons, there's a big difference just in the fact that, like, growing up outside of America creates a different worldly experience than growing up in America. I think that that's something that actually is true. You know, there's the idea of when you are an immigrant, you are born with, you know, the idea of, like, I need a passport to go somewhere. And in America, a lot of times, like, the idea of traveling is, like, considered a luxury, whereas if you're on an island, travel is necessary for a lot of folks. I mean, especially if you're trying to advance beyond the island, you, you may come back. But for what it's worth, you know, if you want to advance your schooling or, you know, your level of um, involvement in global commerce, et cetera, you're often forced to leave that island. Now, I think there's also just in terms of culture, there's a different culture that happens on a West Indian or a Caribbean island and a Caribbean community that happens differently than in America. And those things travel with your parents when they come to America, but it's still a different um, implementation of that. I always say, like, yes. I was born in America and, you know, I definitely had a, a black American experience, but I was raised in a Grenadian household, you know, and my mother definitely um, carried forth certain things from West Indian culture, good and bad, that are not a part of American culture. You know, like there is a certain level of prudishness that happens, even though you're winding up your waist in the parkway in the house. Ain't nobody talking about sex. <laughs> Whoa. No, I got books on a couch when I was 12. And that was it. Um, I had to figure the rest of it out. So, you know, there's that. But then on the other side, you have just like the exposure to a lot of more global conversations, you know, like from the age of three, my mother was sitting there next to me with a student's companion and asking me, you know, and quizzing me on different like the the different rivers across the world and the different country capitals and the different the highest mountain peaks and deserts etc cetera, etc cetera. and that came from her growing up in a school system that focused on a global understanding versus one that was very marginalized which in America is you know America's education system is so hubris driven that it's, it's basically like America's the best and everything else is like whatever whereas when you were growing up outside of that you have a different exposure. You know, my mom, I think because of her teaching, because of her learning at Anglican High School in Grenada, you know, she had a um, a thirst for or a love for like British English literature and Shakespeare, et cetera, that I feel like a lot of my friends and peers here in America like didn't necessarily get exposed to by their parents because their parents weren't exposed to that per se in their like regular learning. So I think there's a difference in that. And I think the bottom line difference is that like there's just um, there's similarities in terms of just how black people the world over and in the diaspora operate, you know, and the way that we have had to manage oppression and the way that we have had to manage, you know, revolution and the way that we have had to carry ourselves, especially us women, you know, West Indian culture treats women a certain way that is distinct and different than in, per se in America. I would say that black American women are a lot less tolerable of things that are considered to be like the norm in West Indian culture. Like, you know, West Indians are, love to act like infidelity is just some regular shit that's supposed to go down. And black American women are like, fuck that. And I would love to see more West Indian women be like, fuck that, as opposed to accepting it as like, well, this is just a part of what our men do, you know? And I know there's some people that are listening like, nah, there's black American women that don't be like, fuck that. Of course, there's there's women everywhere. But I don't think as a part of black American culture, we consider infidelity to be some shit that should just be excused by any means. And I think in West Indian culture, it absolutely is such. So there's a lot of different things. I mean, I could spend a whole episode on just this one question. But when it boils down to it, the difference is, is that when you're born in the Caribbean, you know, you are absolutely like of that. And when you are born in America, it's not to say that you are not West Indian, but you definitely have a different dichotomy of experiences that you're dealing with. And I think one of the biggest differences with that is that 
racism experience is experienced very differently in America than it is in the Caribbean. And learning to understand how that plays out is also its own thing. And and Yvette is actually going to speak to us more about that later in the show. But boils down to it, if you're West Indian, you're West Indian. Okay, and I know that there's people who will be like, oh, well, my parents are from Grenada, but I'm not from Grenada, et cetera. Or people will be like, well, your mom is from Grenada, but you're not from Grenada. Fuck that. I dare you to tell me I'm not from Grenada while I sit under this big ass Grenadian flag with my Grenada passport. You are your heritage. You are your ethnicity and you are your identity and you pursue that and you learn that and you are a part of that. And as someone who was raised in a West Indian and Grenadian household and who's been going to Grenada forever like since before I was one year old it is a huge part of what has shaped me and how I operate it's even my screensaver next question next next question how do you deal with the generational effects of abuse and breaking the curse I know physical abuse is one of the top means of discipline in the Caribbean and I see a lot of West Indian people struggling with the effects of it in adulthood even Lando had to chime in on that one I mean, this actually, you know, it's a continuance of the previous question in terms of like different ways, different ways of of being brought up. And, you know, how does it differ being born in the Caribbean and being born in America? And I think corporal punishment in America, though it is, um, you know, people spank and that that's not something that's necessarily like far fetched for being in the home In in the Caribbean. It was a part of school. You know, like my mom was beaten so bad in school that my mom that my grandmother had to take her out of that school and take her to another school and it was looked like and it was looked at like she was lesser than by going to this other school but my grandmother was like I'm not sending my daughter to go get mashed up by this man up in this friggin school you know that's not I'm not signing up for that you know and I'm really I'm really glad that my grandmother did that because I think that you know when you live in an island it's such a small community that putting on airs is oftentimes like a huge part of the existence there and can be definitely, um, you know, the re <laughs> Lando wants to be a part of the show. Um, it's fine. And it can definitely be a hindrance in, you know, development and in making better decisions. And I'm, I think that there, the abuse and, Um, The abuse that goes on between especially like domestic violence, you know, all of these things that take place in smaller communities that end up getting pushed under the rug because those communities have such a connection that they don't want to like look bad or you don't want to speak on bad on somebody, etc. I think that that absolutely does come up later and dealing with those after effects. Uh, West Indians don't go to therapy. <laughs> like anyone who's listening right now just shook their head like it's true, it's true, it's true. You know, like the black American culture of therapy, like uh, of being against therapy, that's not just a black American thing. Like West Indians ain't trying to go to no therapist and talk about problems. They're like, nah, man, I ain't putting our business out in the street like that. And it's like, well, it's not like the street. It's literally like a closed room and it's actually against the law for her to release the information. But but there's there's so much hurt that happens that ends up kind of just being infused into the community versus like being dealt with. And so what happens is I feel like a lot of times is that 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 because you have people who are forced to deal with so little and they're so able to like find innovation in that, you know, when you're on an island, you ain't got you got what you got. So you are become very resourceful and very innovative. And so you learn to work through and muscle through. But it doesn't change the fact that you went through some fuck shit. And so a lot of times that comes out in different ways. And one of the biggest ways it comes out is in dealing with your children. So there's that. Yeah. And so I think for a lot of us who are the children of especially like first generation West Indians, we are tasked with having to understand what our parents have gone through and the different cultural expectations that they had to uphold in order to manage dealing with abuse, et cetera. Um, and we have to, we're, we're basically like ending up having to do a lot of legwork in managing that and in managing how that plays out against us and then managing not carrying it forward in our own lives. And that is really taxing and exhausting and I know me and my friends, there's a number of us, we have, and, and I have friends who have African parents that are like, oh, it's the same over here. Um, but it's a lot of, 
dealing with the fact that like, you know, our parents a lot of times are just not because of this and because of the way the cultural setup is in the West Indies, you know, our parents may not be as like emotionally expressive, you know, they may not be as warm. I feel like my mom has over time just become more of that by nature of the child that she has because I ain't having it. And two, by just being kind of immersed in different spaces. Like my mom does yoga now. Like I got a text yesterday that said I'm learning how to meditate. I'm like, who are you? I ain't mad at it. But who are you? You know? So I think it's it's also a beautiful time in West Indy. It's a beautiful time in the world when we are getting a lot more information breakdown, you know, because, and I don't mean breakdown in a bad way. I mean like access, you know, like I saw Grenada change when the internet came and not in a bad way, but more so in a way that people saw like, oh shit, like there's even more opportunity that I can get and more opportunity they can have out there. I would say the only thing that was like necessarily like a bad thing that stood out was everybody started dressing like Tyler, the creator. Next question. I'm not West Indian, but my closest friends in Brooklyn that I grew up with are all West Indian. So my question is, why is it that all couches and chairs are always covered in see-through plastic like they just purchased it from a showroom? LOL. Wait, am I even allowed to ask a question since I'm not West Indian? Well, (laughs) yes, you can ask a question. The reason why is because, and I don't know if this is true, but I feel like part of it is because West Indians like to preserve everything. Like when you, like I said, when you live on an island, Shit ain't coming around all the time. So when you get something nice, you hold on to that shit. You rock with it. And even when you move to Brooklyn, those habits don't change. Also, if you're on an island and you're, like, closer to the ocean, you got ocean and sea breeze coming through all the goddamn time. You also have, like, hurricanes you're dealing with and weather, and shit can get ruined. So there's always, like, a certain concept of, like, we need to protect it, protect it, protect it. And so when you move to the States or you move to London, like, (laughs) that doesn't change. There's still this idea of, like, this is a nice thing that we're going to keep and preserve. And everybody knows that those couches that are covered in plastic are not to be sat on. Don't sit on that couch. West Indians will have an entire room in their house that is not meant to be sat on. It is like a Smithsonian. It's it's basically like the Smithsonian construction of this is what we think nice is. And every, listen, every West Indian can tell you that. I don't know how I managed to grow up in a house that didn't have that. But there absolutely was couches that are not to be sat on, chairs that are not to be touched, and pillows that you better not put your head on. Don't you dare rest your head on that pillow as if it's a soft surface for comfort. That is only for looks and decoration. And I've had it for 35 years and you're you're not not going to come and ruin it now. Next question. Why West Indian parents love to comment on when you gained weight? You look a little light in it. You look a little tight in it, anyways, eh? Damn. So, true story. When I went to college, I got on the pill because I was having sex at some point. And when I came home, my mother knew I was on the pill. And she very, very, very quickly noticed that the pill had also caused me to gain quite a bit of weight. And she made it her business to make me aware of that at every turn. Now, there are Americans listening that are like, what? Your mother was fat! shaming you that is terrible and anyways Indian listening is like "Mm, for us it's not considered fat shaming as much as it's just like parenting like that's how and I'm not saying it's okay but I'm just saying like that's the context that we grew up with it in like this is a West Indian's mother's idea of parenting and a way to prevent you from becoming obese and dealing with it and like I will absolutely say like West Indian parents and I know it's a blanket statement whatever the the compartmentalization of feelings is absolutely not done well at all. It's like wh- whether it's worry, concern, love, um, doting, it all pretty much just comes out as yelling. So that's <laughs> that. My mom, I will never forget. I came home and I was uh, I was sitting in front of her on the bed, and she we were watching TV, and I just heard from behind me, "You didn't see the size of your arms." <laughs> Thank you. Then I was watching TV again while I'm home, and she's like, you don't think you should go for a run or something? Y'all, I've never run in my fucking life, okay? I, I Unless I was doing gymnastics, I was never like, let me go for a jog. I was never going jogging. And then I went to the kitchen, and I went into the freezer, 
and I was pulling out a tub of Ben and Jerry's. And when I closed the freezer door, my mother appeared like Bishop in juice when Q closed the locker door. And she was like, don't you think you've had enough of that? So, you know, it's just good old fashioned, uh, you know, being aware of my weight. I'm not going to say I lost the weight because my mother shamed me, but I will say it was part of it. Um, and I think that her shaming was more so just concern of like, you're not yourself. You're going outside of like your natural self right now. And that's not okay. And I do think in my case, like had I, had I been a young woman that was on the more heavier side, I don't think my mother would have shamed that. It's just that I was clearly not looking like my regular self. And her way of dealing with that was not to say... Mans, I think we should address your weight. It was to make me feel bad about it. And that is actually very authentically West Indian. As my friend comedian Reg Thomas says, if you go into a West Indian restaurant and they don't treat you like you're trying to borrow the food, it's not authentic. Next question. Why as a West Indian female you are expected to be a domestic house gal? Well, you, you know, you know that. That, I mean, that has been the way. You know, and I think that as we see the world changing, West Indian men are going to have to really start understanding that change, too. Women are independent. You know, we're not just independent behind a stove. We're independent in our thinking and in our aspirations and in not just and not just wanting to have kids. And I think that there's, you know, we come from a village mentality that says like it's still tribal. So I think that there's growth and change that's happening. But I absolutely remember seeing, like, you know, when my uncles would come around, my mom would become the hostess. And it's like, I never see her like that. My mom has always been me and my mom, and she's making shit happen. She's a registered nurse. She's, you know, handling shit when they come around it's like you want some of this you want some of that all this doting 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 well i don't want to be dotish okay and i think that um it's not just up to women to to change that tune it's up to men as well and it's up to brothers that are west indian to understand and to help push the needle on that because we do need to encourage a more vocal community of women and we do need to encourage a more aware community of men who understand that the times have changed and they were never right to begin with. You know, the objectivity of women in West Indian culture and the limitations based on women in West Indian culture, that's not just akin to West Indian culture. That's been patriarchy all over the world. And it was never okay. It was, just, And when people try to say it's tradition, I'm like, fuck that. It's habit. And bad habits need to be stopped and changed. And if I don't know what the source is and why it has value for us, then that doesn't make a tradition. It just makes it a bad situation. Next question. Woo woo. So your mom has been supportive of your career and artistic freedom. I've been holding back because I've always been told the entertainment business wasn't lucrative and that I have to choose something more realistic, which I've done. What would you say is the best way to get my West Indian mother and, Carib and grandmother to open up and be more supportive? I've been moving toward I've been moving forward in baby steps, but there's nothing like the support of your mom. I mean, if we're being perfectly honest, the concern is simply that they just don't think that you're going to be able to support yourself. I don't think it's really about like, oh, I think that has the entertainment industry has bad um, <laughs> has lack of integrity or, you know, that the entertainment industry is going to get you into trouble. I think that's a part of it. But I think for the most part, West Indian parents just feel like the entertainment entertainment industry isn't giving anything of value to the world and that it's not going to get you anything of value in your bank. That's a fact. So I think there's two ways to approach this. I know for me, like my mom has always understood that the art that I was creating was valuable because it not only served me and my artistic purpose, but it also was like a committed to like social change and, you know, upliftment, etc. And don't get me wrong. There were many times in my life where my mom was just like, I just feel like you don't like money because you're not making it. And it was like, no, I just don't want to you know, sign myself up for lessening my dignity and my artistic integrity just for a check. And I think that was always like the thing that she couldn't like co-sign, like she couldn't like get that to make sense. But eventually she had to get it to make sense because I wasn't switching up on that. I think the other part of it is just like, yo, like it is difficult to make money in the enter entertainment industry. You know, it is, it is not like as straight ahead as being a physician or being a teacher or being a lawyer where it's like you go to school, you get this job, now you have access and you have status, etc. There is absolutely a more wild, wild west to the entertainment industry and West Indians are not about that. Like they ain't trying to have no type of 
un- lack of control and uncertainty. It's like, no, I want to know that everything is going to be solid. I think that comes from a place of love. And I think that you have to express to them not only your willingness to take to tackle the the uncertainty, but also you need to provide for them some type of uh, solid ground to stand on to feel like you're not just throwing caution to the wind and being irresponsible. And I think that's what a lot of times it gets looked at. Like, oh, you just want to play around. And the arts and entertainment are not playing around. They're a craft. And the way that you demonstrate that to them is on you. But I know for me, it was going to school for it and auditioning and taking measures that showed my dedication to this craft, not just as something I want to do to be famous. So you got to give it, levit- you got to give it um, gravitas. And then they may not be down with it then either. So you got to be willing to know that there just may be some shit that they ain't fucking with. And that's, uh, there's that as well. Next question. Do you ever look at American-born and bred people and think their drive is low? Our parents came here for us to be better while born and bred Americans can't even be bothered to pay attention in class while it was drilled in us to be better and do better. Not my words. Just reading the question. Not my words. Did the West Indian culture make you miss certain American cultures? I.e., I didn't know Christmas carols, just reggae Christmas music. Okay, that's two different questions. Um, Her second question about did the West Indian culture make me miss American culture, things from American culture. In my case, no. Uh, my mother had a lot of American friends, so I got a a good mix of things. Um, but I think that there's, like, certain things that are West Indian that, like, my American friends would never know about. Like, they wouldn't know about Parang, which is, you know, specifically Christmas-based soca and calypso music that gets played during Christmas time. And, you know, you have carolers in America where you have people that come and play Parang in, in Grenada and, you know, in, in different Caribbean islands that they come around and they sing the Christmas uh, calypso songs to the people just the same way that we walk around in America and sing Silent Night. Now, West Indians have a whole different flavor. Silent Night in Grenada is more like Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Calm, I say All is Bright, 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 I say All is Bright, Bright, Bright. You know, it's something like that. Um, but to her first question, do I think that... Um, being West Indian has made me look at Americans as if their drive is low. I think it's a very, 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 like, that's a that's a tough concept because you will definitely see West Indians who say that and who have had, like, issues with Americans and they'll look down on Americans, etc. But the experience of being West Indian and being American is very, very different. And if you were born and bred in this country, you are dealing with a whole other set of issues than if you were born and bred in the Caribbean. I feel very fortunate as someone who is of a West Indian parent to be able to call somewhere home that isn't somewhere that I'm still having to live amongst my oppressor. You know, like that mindfuck of being American and having to have that juxtaposition on a daily basis is very taxing. Black Americans are riddled with PSD simply by existing in a place where you are having to live on the same soil and with your oppressor on a daily basis. In Grenada, when you go to Grenada, I mean, yeah, there was colonialism, but you see it in the way that things are named and the fact that we have all French names and you go to Paris and you go to France and you see places with the same names. But at the end of the day, when you look around, you see black people. You see people of the island that have taken it back and that are running it themselves. And so it's not the same situation. I say that to say, also, when you are an immigrant coming to another place, there is just the simple fact that you were able to pick up your life as you know it and leave and go somewhere else. Your drive is absolutely going to be different simply by the fact that it has to be to survive. You're living on survival. When you live in America, the survival is in a different context. So I don't think it's fair to say that, like, the drive is less. I think the drive is different. I think the motives can be different. And I think the priorities can be different simply because the, the starting point, the source point, is different. It just is. I think when you have um, West Indian parents and you are a second generation, you're getting double sides of the coin. My mom has absolutely been exposed to black American culture solely through my, my teachings and my learning and has had a wealth of, you know, changed opinions and open mindedness happen simply because of that, you know, and there are stigmas that we place on each other. And I always just feel like as in, as we are in the diaspora, you know, Americans get the bad rap as the black people in the diaspora because of the fact that like, you know, we are presented so shittily on a global scale and we are oftentimes are not even the ones who are in control of the media that's representing us. 
You know, so when you go to other places, I remember being in Haiti and this young woman, when she would speak in her American accent, she would talk like this. Like, she would talk like this. And I was like, where did you get that from? Like, you don't, you're not, you're like a bougie Haitian. And she was like, oh, because I watch Love and Hip Hop. You know, that's how they talk. That's how they talk. And I was like, she was like, you know, that's how I, I want to talk like a black girl. And then I had like an Airbnb girl who had stayed with me. She was from Paris. And she was like, I want to talk like a black girl. You know, like this. And I was like, oh, man. And it's not to say that there aren't black girls that talk like that. But that was just her only concept of what a black girl was. Because that was the only expect, only representation that she had seen in uh, an abundance of. So I think that, no. I haven't looked at Americans and said, like, oh, their drive is low. I just think that the trajectory is different. And I think that we're coming from different places and different experiences. And um, we're driving from different <laughs> driveways. You know, uh, but West Indians are known for having 10 jobs for a reason, because when you came to this country, you weren't just coming for you. Our parents, you know, as a second generation, like our parents didn't come here for just them. They came here for to build a better future for us. And in many cases to get green cards for seven other people, you know, and to allow for there to be growth and opportunity that is an extension of their legacy. And. You know, in Grenada and on the islands, like owning land is such a huge part of our life and like a huge part of of what goes on on those islands. And in America is though though reparations was supposed to be 40 acres and a mule, that idea of owning land, I just feel has not been instilled within black American culture in the same way that. Uh, and and legacy building in the same way that it has been in the West Indies. And so I think that those are things that I would love to see crossover, you know, but. For what it's worth, um, these DMT questions have been so fulfilling because they're so varied. They come from so many different sources and they've really covered the vast experience of what it is to be West Indian and to um, grow up in a place that you call home with someone who doesn't call it home. <laughs> and and for those who were born in the West Indies and moved here, you know, just juxtaposing that culture that is so rich in another culture that is rich and continuing it while also adding to it. And I always feel like, you know, that's, that's the beautiful thing about a place like America is that we are able to do that with all sorts of cultures. And I'm glad we're able to do that with the West Indian culture. And for those of you who are listening to this episode and don't know about West Indian culture and don't know about Carib culture, look it up. Don't just watch cool runnings because them niggas wasn't even Jamaican. So today on People I Like, uh, we have somebody who I didn't even know knew who I was. What? And my mom was like, you know, Beyonce publicist about nutmeg on she on she stationery is a big, big, big nutmeg, you know. And I was like, really? And she sent me, I forgot why it had been published, but the nutmeg was so big. And she was like, I think she's Grenadian, you know, because it's only we that's put it in nutmeg. So, so I was like, do some research. And Annette Seals is the queen researcher. And she came back, she's a Grenadian! We have uh, Miss Yvette Noel Shore. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm um, so happy to be here. So happy to have <laughs> you. And, um, you know, I think that, you I know. I should have said, how you do, girl? You know, we, this episode, Side Effects of Being West Indian, you know, I, we were talking before we were taping and we were talking about how, like, we live in L.A. Mm -hmm. And it's not as culturally... Um, it's not as culturally like big here, but if you work in the business, I feel like there's a lot of West Indians in Lots. the entertainment business. And you are somebody who reps some very large names. Oh my goodness. You rep the largest name. <laughs> um, I kind of do. You kind of do. She's wow. the largest name. She's the largest. She's the name. largest name. Yeah. And so you rep Beyonce, my girls, Chloe and Hallie. Yes, it's I like love the them. best. Um, Jesse. Jesse, yeah, I do. And and before that, I had uh, for years and years and years, I ripped uh, John Legend. Oh, John! Well, you know, John, careful with the mic. Keep it close. Bring it close. Um, John Legend came into Sirius Satellite Radio when he first dropped his album, and no one would interview him. And I was oh, like, I remember those days. I was like, well, I mean, I like the song out, 
I'll interview him. Oh, I love that. And so I interviewed him, and we were friends since. And he would like leave tickets for my mom at every show in Orlando. And um, you know, I'm. I I always tell people like I can send a DM to John. He will reply within two minutes. Oh my god! Which means none of you niggas is busy. You're not busy. I always tell people that. I have texted John and he has been on tour like in Asia yes. and hit me back. He's literally on stage singing Ordinary People, texting you back. And you're I just think like, so. I, I do. Is. I was like, John, aren't you on stage? You know who else is that? Yeah. Questlove. Yeah, He's cute. literally been texting me with one hand while he was drumming with the other hand. These are good people. And I'm like, what? How? I mean, so. Because they make time for people. For people. Yeah. Yes. They make time for people. So yeah. how did you... Did you always want to be a publicist? Was that always the Hell goal? Hell no. Okay. Because I don't feel like anybody no, here really No, absolutely wants to be a not. And, and, you know, I admire young people who are trying to be publicists, but I actually thought that publicists were really evil, evil people. Uh, yeah, because well, yeah. in, in my job as a journalist and not for a Rolling Stone, I was, you know, I was the editor of Blackbeat magazine, a little fanzine back in the day that primarily spoke uh, about. Um, artists that were doing R&B and hip hop mm-hmm. and but you know we were probably considered Z-list right so every single time I got invited to something and I went I found the publicists to be acting a little crazy like they were at capacity they were always at capacity by the time always. I showed up and just <laughs> but they didn't know how to handle it they didn't say like mm. you know sometimes they got just played are you sure you got an invitation things like that and I was like ooh publicists ooh. are terrible there were some really great ones, great ones, but there were some ones that just sort of crumbled under pressure, and yeah. especially for events. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So when I got an opportunity to be a publicist, only because I complained about not having a Mariah Carey album, mm. and I called Columbia Records, and they said, oh my God, something just went off. You're so passionate. Oh my God, do you want to come in for an interview? Because we've been, we've been trying to get a new publicist, but we've only been interviewing publicists. We didn't think about interviewing a journalist. I was like, oh, uh, if you send me the record and I'm able to make my deadline and write my review, then I'll come talk to you. And I went up and spoke to them and they pretty much hired me right there on the spot. And I was still thinking they're trying to set me up because I, <laughs> because I got a job in like, two seconds into an interview and my first client was going to be Mariah Carey who was married to Tommy Mottola, the head of the company at the time. I'm like, they're trying to set me up. <laughs> they're trying to set me up. This is, you know, like, Caribbean, you're just like Caribbean people are just suspicious anyhow. Why yes. you being so oh nice to me? Gosh. Why are you taking me out from making $30,000 and giving me twice the amount that I'm supposed what to be making? What you really want? Then? What you want from me? My mother is the queen conspiracy theorist. Oh my God. I have to be like, stop. Maybe the person is just a jerk. After like, 17 years at Columbia, I still think they were trying to set me up. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a 17-year career. I what you really trying, like, to trying to do. <laughs> My husband's like, you've been there 17 years now. Nobody's trying to do anything to you. Yeah. So you got there and then it just like dovetailed from there? It just built. I, you know, I like to tell people that I think I was prepared for what was going to happen. But really, I wasn't. Because when you have to deal with Mariah, think like... Uh, music box mm-hmm. you know that's when i came into wow. that the 1993 music box Singing it in my head that's what i came into and and, and i was like oh my god it, it, it just i'm either gonna die there i'm like on the 24th floor i'm probably gonna jump out of the window <laughs> um so no, it was just really the, the pressure because we're talking about a music business back in the day where you were selling 220,000 records yeah. a week right so it was a lot of pressure but just when I thought I was going to fall apart, these four girls came in from Houston, Texas, Destiny's Child. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I could do this. I could do this. I came from Blackbeat Magazine. I know about young girls. I know about teenagers. I could do this. Did not know what was about to happen right. with that. That just that changed my whole life. Took me around the world. And then this kid from Springfield, Ohio, showed up, you know, and then. I was told that he said he wants to speak to the person that's doing Beyonce's publicity. That was John Legend. So it just kept going. I just kept getting really, really good artists. Mm -hmm. And um, it didn't become easier. I think I just had better training. Yeah. (laughs) Each artist kind of trains you, you know. But um, like in 2010, I just felt like the walls were closing in on me. And I said, I had been there 17 years and I was just like, I have to go. I have to go. I didn't know why I needed to go. I just felt like Sony Music and Columbia Records gave me the most amazing career. And then for like the last five years, every day I came to work, I felt like I was being pushed 
pushed. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not where I needed to be. It turned out, though, that when I Can I, I ask left, how old you were at that time? I was... Well, I came into the job at 31. I came into the job at 31. So I was, I was probably... 40, who, how old was I when I left Columbia? For the record, we I was almost 48. You see her face? Oh, I'm 56. And I'm so proud of my age. Black, yeah, I'm wearing my tight t-shirt from Bob Marley and my jeans. Black, <laughs> Black don't, don't crack. crack. And if you grew up eating Kalalu, you definitely don't crack. <laughs> yeah, but I was in my 40s. I, I mean, was close to my... Are you with nutmeg? I mean, I don't know. You have to. <laughs> okay, well, don't, don't tell TSA. And immigration, but I bring back a whole bottle of Grand and Sand every time. Really? Yeah, man. Take all the crack off your heels and your hey, face. Hey. Yes. Rub okay. some eggs in there. Grand Ants is our number one beach in Grenada. I in mean, the world. In the world. <laughs> in the world. I mean, Grand Ants is seven miles of just impeccable white sand beach. Beautiful. Just so we're clear, there are 40 beaches in Grenada, and Grand exactly. Ants is just... One of them. Yes. But who's counting? Who's counting? <laughs> who's counting? And just a side note, we have every kind of beach. So We have black sand beach. We have white sand beach. We have, we have rocky beach. Rocky beach, yes. coral beach, That's all right. kind of beach. That's everything. right. So, so here's my question. When you were feeling the pushed out, what made you know where to go next? I didn't. I didn't. And as it turned out, when I left, in, um, when I left Sony in March of... Uh, 2010 mm -hmm. um my father would die in december of 2010 eventually i started believing that it was the universe telling me that you have a little bit of time with your dad spend time okay. and I, I just stayed home i did nothing i you know 2010 was like an off year mm -hmm. uh for beyonce she was um she wouldn't put out music again until 2011 mm -hmm. so i was just like we have a little bit of time so from march to september i was home just sort of Having fun, going on vacations. I went to Grenada twice. Nice. I went to Vegas in August. Worst thing, nobody should do that. It was okay. really hot. <laughs> Had the greatest time, all the time thinking I was just relaxing. But um, Beyonce called and said, you're still going to be my publicist? And I said, okay, yeah, you know. Because you have to understand that my position with her was based with on my position label. with Sony. But the fact yeah. that she said, "Yes, hello, I said, oh my gosh, great, yeah. My husband says... That means you can have a business. I said, no, that's just mean I can sit in my house and do publicity for her. He said, no, you can have a business. So without even asking me, he just started filing papers for us to have a business. Is your husband West Indian? My husband is so not West Indian, only by association. <laughs> I call my husband the whitest a, man in America. That's a very he, West Indian thing to do. He is the whitest man Oh, that's also a America. very white man thing it's to do. It's a very white man so thing to do. Let's papers. Let's get this legal. Let's get this legit. No, he... <laughs> Literally, I came back from one of my many vacations I took that, that summer, and he handed me some papers, and he said, you should look at it. And I looked at it, and it said, Shore Media. Now it's Shore Articles Media Articles of Incorporation. I said, I said, oh, my God. Articles nice. Get you on me going to incorporate your business <laughs> for did. you and I then did. give it to you. He did. All I had to do was call Billboard and say, I have a legitimate business. We're going to need to do a loan We're going to need to do something. So... <laughs> In this, because in this story, right, there's, there's a lot of self-motivation. There's a lot of, um, you know, you being resourceful. How would, how would you say that your West Indian background has shaped how you've approached your career? A hundred percent how it shaped my career. I give credit to everything that I learned in Grenada. Let me tell you a little bit that at like eight years old, my grandfather uh, put me on a bus Gave me a brown paper bag. Where in Grenada? Uh, Birch Grove. Birch Ooh. Grove, St. Andrews, right on the Grand Anse yep. Lake. Uh, we're at the Granitan Lake. And said, go to Mr. Bola. Mr. Bola. They were the Indian merchants. You know, they were Indians. They were Lebanese. They uh -huh. were, but these were the Indian merchants that were in Grenada that sort of supplied goods to all the little yeah. stores. Go back. When I was growing up, I thought I was living in a really big supermarket. It turns <laughs> out that I really was raised in a mom pasta. Yes. But... He gave me such, he just thought I was such a smart kid. Huh. He just, you gave know. Gave you the autonomy he to get, go. Yeah, he did. And like he said, you need to learn how to drive and all of those kinds of things. It wasn't just about my brothers. He really believed in women. I always just say, a side note, driving in Grenada for women is a big thing. Big so thing. my aunt is the second woman to ever have a driver's license in Grenada. I'm the first in my, in my uh, family. 
to ever have a driver's license. There so that was go. big. They that had was to really lie big. about my aunt's age. My, our, our producers will get me crazy. My aunt was literally the second woman in the island of Grenada to have a driver's license. Yeah. And just to this day, by the way, driving in Grenada is a whole experience. A whole experience. <laughs> and you, I mean, like it's you such to... a mountainous, windy road. Like you have to have a good heart. And they're trying. <laughs> <laughs> you and do. they're trying to fit. Two cars on a road that is not made for two cars. And there's like, Cannot you know, you're it. so high above sea level. There's a 60-foot drop yep. on one side. Yep. But then, press you a know, piece. A press <laughs> a piece. Stay left, stay. And you drive on the left side of yeah. the road. Yeah. So stay left, stay left, stay left. And then, you know, you might end up in a ditch. But if you just wait a couple minutes, somebody will pull up. Somebody will pull we up. We were in a ditch and three guys pull up in a car, got out, didn't talk to us. Walked around the car. Go so. Go so, yes. go so, and then next thing you know, one, two, three, pull, lift the car up, got back in their car, peace. Exactly. Not even conversation. No. It's just like this it's what is, they do. It's what needs. It's to be what done. they do. It's what needs to be done. Yeah, but you know, you learn. You learn in Grenada those things. You learn to be good to people. You learn yeah. how to work hard. You learn to work with what you have. My grandmother, my grandfather used to say, you know, make make the most of what you have. And that's what you do. That's what you do. And for me, it meant also changing the rules of what I thought publicists do mm. to make it work for me. Like I wanted to always work from a place of kindness, like understanding uh, like a writer is on deadline, being respectful mm. of that, being kind and being knowledgeable. You know, you can't go pitching if you don't really know what you're pitching. You know, speak that truth. So you know, you have to learn what the artist is about. You have to learn what the music is about, what they represent, and not just be. You know, these days I just see everybody with a cell phone. They just have a cell phone. I'm just working this project right now. Like, no, (laughs) like, hello. (laughs) And as an artist, I'm just like, you know, it's you feel so great when your publicist understands, like you said, like what you're about. Exactly. Because the projects are essentially extensions of what you're about. You know, like my publicist understands that, like my bottom lines are I'm smart. I'm funny and I'm black. Exactly. You know? and Don't forget to, the essence of the person. That's the key. Yeah. You know, so. the music, the the acting, all of that is just a little part mm-hmm. of who you are, of the core. Exactly. That, that one, one time. time. <laughs> so speaking of who you are, um, we're gonna get into our next segment. That one time, so we can get a little story. Yeah. A little story about being a West Indian. And um, so um, that's my pause. So, so you were born in Grenada. Born and raised until I was 14. Until you were 14. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us about what the transition was like when you moved here at 14? And where did you move to? Well, little 14-year-old virgin girl got on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I said that, that the whole virgin thing is that When I was a little girl in Grenada, there were a lot of young girls who were pregnant. Really? Yeah. Like, I came to America in 75. Uh And what I remember, there were a lot of young girls who, not only did they get pregnant, their life sort of ended because they had to be thrown out of school and that kind of stuff. And I just remember saying to myself, "Don't, don't shame mama. Don't shame papa. Don't, you know, so I just stayed away from boys, period. Mm -hmm. Just stayed away from boys. And when I came here, a couple of things happened to me that are really distinct. Um, I, my dad and my mom were already in America and they decided that no one has, no one could leave Grenada before your 14th birthday because they felt that 14 was like the age that you, everything was in you. You now had a true Grenada upbringing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't get on the plane before right. you're 14, you know? Okay. And so um, when I came, I, I think, uh, first of all, uh, it was uh, December 10th, 1975, Pan Am Boy. to JFK. Pan Am. Uh, Y'all don't Pan even know Am. about Pan Am. A little flower all dress. All they know about it, a TV show that had one know, season starring right? Christina Ricci. No, Pan Am was it. A little flower dress. A little this is every West Indian story. Not my even mother, a sweater. Not even a sweater on the plane. My mother went to London on the plane in a sundress and landed in London in winter in a sundress to go to nursing school. Unbelievable. <laughs> that is my story too. I was with my brother, Trevor. Trevor. How could of you course. not have a Trevor, exactly. right? Exactly. Always. And we went through Trinidad and then took the flight to the U.S. And I remember daddy coming to the airport to pick me up and he brought an even 
thinner coat than I'd ever imagined. <laughs> and we're standing outside of um, JFK Terminal and waiting for this taxi. And I was like, Daddy, so did Daddy, you, have a green Daddy you don't card? have a car? <laughs> did you have a green card? Green card. So he came with, green card. came with the green card. Came with the green card. Came with the green card. Moved to Brooklyn. It snowed the next day. My 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 brother and I were going out to the fire escape, eight three six Utica Avenue in Brooklyn, apartment two C. Utica! Yes, between <laughs> Church and Linden. Oh my God! <laughs> yes, yes, yes. There was Y'all a, don't understand. That oh is like you don't God. even need to. There's no insane. Americans. It's no, just, no, you're in no, the island. Insane. It's like a whole archipelago. But you in know, a block yes, radius. But you know what? I wore those white strappy shoes. For like two weeks, thinking that it was okay to do that. Because <laughs> when I woke up, my dad was at work, my mom was at work, so nobody was telling me that there were boots under the yes. under the bed for me. So in the from winter, Shoppers World for five ninety nine. In the winter, I had my toes out, and it's funny. My kids, I, I for a long time, I still wore my toes out in the winter, and I remember my daughter Mika saying, "Mommy, like that, cut, that, it. That, cut it out. <laughs> get, get, get some boots. Just really get some boots, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. So you came to to New York. Did you feel like, well, since you were in such a Grenadian, I mean, such a West Indian community, do you feel like it was an easy transition? Um, it, when I stayed in my radius in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. it was. When I went into Manhattan, it was a whole other culture that was very difficult for me. Um, like I took a job against my father's wishes at Burger King. That's actually where I met my husband. He walked in and asked for a chicken sandwich in my name. On a Wednesday, we had a date on a Friday, and I moved in on Sunday. Very, Very bad, bad girl. girl. We'll, we'll get to that. But when I got to... E- e. When, <laughs> girl. You're fresh. I fresh for so. <laughs> when I got to the, ve- the West Village, when I got to like seeing different people that didn't speak like I did, that was really hard. And 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 certain times in Brooklyn it was hard for me because American American black kids back yeah, then didn't yeah, like Caribbean people. So I was chased down hallways and called Coconut Girl and Banana Boat Girl for a very, very long time. And I remember one time uh, going to school and being teased so badly that I left. I left in the middle of the lunch period and I went home and daddy was home. Ooh. And he said... March your ass right back on that bus number 46 and go back to the school. B46. B46. And that was a lesson. That was a lesson for me to just not, to, to, to get up. Get up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't born in Grenada, but I've always been, you know, my mom had me going to Grenada before I could walk and yeah. speak. And um, I, I was always very attached to my Grenadian heritage and, you know, I have citizenship and, That's great. you know, like it's very infused in me. And it's interesting when you were saying about like when you would leave your microcosm to go out, you would see like all this different kind of stuff. And you're like, oh, because for me, it was like that, like it's Grenada in my house. But then once I leave my house, it's a whole other the rest of the world experience. Yeah. And like a lot of people don't understand when you're growing up West Indian, like even if you're in America, if your parents are really about West Indian culture, like that is what's happening in your house. And every you corner miss of out. the house, yeah. You miss out on other stuff. So like I didn't know there was a Negro national anthem until I was fifteen. I think I was probably twenty one when I realized that. <laughs> like, I, and never I was like, knew Oh that. my goodness. You know, my mom You know, I still feel a little deficient in that, honestly. I, I still feel as as proud as I am. But that's why I have a master's Caribbean. in African American studies. Yeah, I saw that. I read that because, because I felt I, like I was lacking in that. Yeah, you know when when I when I read my first James Baldwin book, mm-hmm. I was like, "There's a whole other life. There's yeah. a whole other life there." You know. I mean, my mom, as a West Indian, she's learned through my like study of Black American culture and my experience of Black American culture, and she has said the same thing that it's kind of like helped bolster because when yeah. you're growing up in the West Indies, it's still you're dealing with the leftovers of colonialism. You know, you're still dealing like my mom always talks about. You know, they make us come and stand up in this hot sun to wave at this queen drive by. I mean, why the hell are we waving at these yes, people? Yes, and then you know when they yes. she, she sees them doing it with Prince Harry again, she's like, they still doing they this, still doing this. <laughs> yes, yes, but. I would bring certain like West Indian cultural things into class. And I have, I mean, one particular memory where I did a report 
about Grenada and I had, you know, the poster board and everything. And I'm talking about different fruits and, you know, the Mona monkey, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, and I talked yeah. about breadfruit. And my teacher was like, oh, that's it's no there's no such thing as breadfruit. Oh, it's no. fruitcake. And I was like, well, no, it's not. No, it's 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 breadfruit. It's breadfruit. And she's like, Amanda, it is fruitcake. And I'm just like, it, as a kid, you're like, this this white woman in Orlando, Florida, don't know shit about Grenada. And she literally like made me sit down and was like, you know, that is incorrect. And I went home and told my mom. And my mom was livid, of oh, course. I could imagine. And made me come back. She had a bunch of postcards with breadfruit on it. And it's not like you could find breadfruit in the States. Right. But now you can in Brooklyn. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Because she made me, she wrote yeah. a whole thing for me to read. Yeah. And gave a note to the teacher explaining what breadfruit is. But I feel lucky it's because... It's the most important thing in Grenada. It like is. It's our, it, it's our, our national dish. It's literally a part of our national dish. Yeah. Oil dung. And I really... Um, I really... I hear people who are like second generation West Indians and they'll be like, well, I'm not Grenadian. My mother is Grenadian. And I always feel like sad for them kind of because yeah. it's nice to, to have a place that you're still connected to that you could go home to. Any, I don't know, you know, with other with other islands, Jamaica is probably Jamaica and Trini are probably the the other two besides Grenada. Where in the house, everywhere you turn, there is something that says Jamaica or Trinidad exactly. or Grenada. We are right now sitting on a couch beneath a giant a Grenadian giant flag, flag. <laughs> with the nutmeg, with the nutmeg, <laughs> and when and when we see each other, like I had known about you, but then it wasn't until we met in person, yeah. and it was like, oh God, oh my God. Jab, jab, people! <laughs> Y'all, we down here playing mass up in the um, the the essence, essence black women in Hollywood, yeah. and then you see other Grenadians come up. Estelle it was um, so good, and it, Rondell, who works for Essence, was there yes. too. Yes, and then Sid Noel, who yes. is one of the uh, Dora Milaje in Wakanda. Exactly. Um, who else was one of our Grenadian constituency? We have a large Grenada constituency. It's 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 growing too. People are kind of coming out. Lewis the, Hamilton is yep. from Grenada. Joe. Um, when I met him, I lost it. Really? Like years ago in, in, in England. I was like, oh my God. And we rap. Yeah. I did see Hard. a video of Craig David recently being like, oh, I don't really know much about uh, Grenada. He gets me upset. And I'm like, what are you talking Find about? Find out. Yeah. Find out. It's really, yeah. you know, and Malcolm X's yeah. mother is from Grenada. Yes. For those who don't know. That's yes. Right. So, yeah. you know, but I feel like as West Indians and you know, second generation West Indians, we do have just a different experience with America. We do. And um, we do. we're going to do a part two of this with my mom, who's going to talk about the green card process. Oh, my goodness. I, I want to just tell you one thing. Um, uh, when I was when I was growing up in Grenada, I never heard the words, the N word. And I mm -hmm. never heard the N word that's actually Negro. Right. I've never heard that. Right. So. Mm -hmm. The first three days that I was in Brooklyn, I was walking to my other uncle's house, my younger uncle's house, and a young kid called me a nigger. Like a little kid. Yeah. Like a little kid. So, of course, I, I, I didn't put it together yet. Like, I didn't really understand what the kid was saying. So but I, it felt like an insult? It felt like an insult. Okay. It just felt like an insult. But then I didn't, I sort of kept walking to my uncle's house. And when I went to, I said, a little kid just kind of ran out and said, nigger, to me. And he said, oh, that's not a good thing. Like, and my, my uncle was all about, you know, black power. You know, it was 1975. Yeah, he had his afro and everything. And he put me in sit down and I said, wow, not everybody's going to like me in this country. Right. It's going to be a it's going to be a little different. And I'm I'm the most sensitive person you can run into. And I was just like, you can't cry every you time. Cancer? No, I'm Scorpio. I'm such a weak oh. Scorpio. I'm such a weak Scorpio. <laughs> but I just said, you know what? You just can't let that stop you. And I've, I've been in situations where I was treated so badly, so badly. And anytime my kid when my kids were young, I was just like, you can't be a punk in front of your kids. You can't be a punk in front of your kids. Mm. You have to stand up. You have to deal with prejudice. You have to say it. You have to you have to yeah. let people know you're not gonna take it. You it. know, like Grenadians, you give they give you their money, 
They take it out of their bra, the handkerchief <laughs> that's in the bra. They pull it out in front of you and they want to place it in your hand. So that is how I grew up in the yeah. shop with people putting the money. Yes. And so I get so insulted when I give you the money and you throw it at me. And my kids don't understand <laughs> that. They think I make such a big fuss about it. But I have stopped whole lines of people in stores telling the cashier, you have to give me that money back in my hand. <laughs> pick it up, pick it up, but the, pick it my up. My mom is the yeah. same way. Yeah, it drives, but it's, it's a Grenada thing. Oh, it's my probably mother, a Caribbean And you know thing. what? My mother's, our family had a shop. That's what it is. Uh, Zanans on Melville but, Street. But that, oh my gosh, that was your shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know that shop. I used to go in that shop when I was a kid. Oh. That's Grenada for you. It's such a small place. Listen, I went home a year ago, went to the market to get some cashews, you know, the burnt cashews. Of course. And the lady said, wait, are you Mr. Vivi Grandchild? Yeah. I said, I am. She said, well, I mean, you're a grown woman now, but Lord, you were the little girl that used to come here. I said, I am. I said, but you still but here. But you're still here. Still here. People don't die in Grenada. No, they don't. I don't know if it's the Jacks. <laughs> the breadfruit, the, the bread jacks, the, the mango, jacks. I don't know. the julie mango, the julie mango, the I mean, salt water bath, better known as the sea. The sea. <laughs> Just go and dip, take a dip in the sea. I know that this is a West, growing up West Indian episode, but this has become a growing up Grenada <laughs> episode. You know, I mean, but it's it's um, but it speaks to this the the depth of the cultures of even the specific islands because yeah. I think a lot of times it gets washed up as like oh it's just the Caribbean and each island has its own oh yeah uniqueness and then you have Jamaicans sure. who a lot of times like to act like there are no other islands yes and yes. there very much is <laughs> and um, Jamaicans are very proud very proud <laughs> but Grenadians are. Very proud. We exactly. are a small island yep. with big talent. We're loud. Grenada had to be loud because yes. all the bigger islands were getting all the attention. And I actually we were think, like, let's have a revolution. Let's, let's have a revolution. <laughs> and let's change our flag. Yes. Because I think when we put the colors, when we added, I think we added red. I think the, the colors of the flag before was green, yellow, and I can't remember. It was another sort of beigey brown color. Before independence. I never knew that. Yes. Yeah, so this is a flag that started in 1973. Yeah. This was the new flag. Well, all you got a real um, dose of Grenada. <laughs> you got right. a large dose yeah. on small doses of Grenada. Yep. Thank you so much. Oh, and also, I'm thank so you happy. for putting the nutmeg on your, on your stationery. It's all about it. And for... You know, keeping Grenada culture and West Indian culture in the in the mix. You are absolutely not somebody who has like hidden your accent oh, or no. hidden your Grenada. You no. know, you, you see this all the time where people want to so like important. For they want to immerse themselves, and then they don't want to like let people know where they're but from. But why not be that person in the room? Why not be that person in the room that says? You need to learn about me. Yes. You need to learn about where I'm from. I always tell my friends, and I'm taking a lot of my friends to Grenada. I said, you really don't know me until you walk in the mud that I walked in. Until you come under that nutmeg tree I grew up under. You don't know me. It's a whole other thing. Grenada is my therapy. Absolutely. It's I tell my therapy. This. When you land and you come off the plane and you could like, it's like you could smell oh, the spice. Spice is so good. It's so good. I always bring it back in my suitcase so Every they time. can't smell it. Every time. I mean, Im immigration's like, what you got in there? I said spice. Spice. I know you could smell it. All Come the on. spices. You can smell the thing. Why are you asking me? <laughs> Mace, clove, <laughs> nutmeg. Come on. That's Saffron. Right. That's right. Well, thank you for oh, hanging out with us. This was so good. This was and so I'm good. And I'm so glad we got to connect. Yes. You yes. know? And now you can't continue. get rid of me, Amanda. <laughs> My whole family stalks your Instagram. We love you. Yes. We just love you. My sister would call, Amanda just put up a story. Amanda just put up a story. Check it out. Check it out. Amanda's story up. <laughs> and then when I go to Greens, I just story, 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 exactly. story. You know, I try exactly. and really show people. Yes. Listen, I should be an honorary um, diplomat or ambassador you for should. Grenada. You absolutely should. Charlemagne bring his whole family down this Christmas should. just because of my Instagram. No, I'm telling you, you should. So eventually, it's gonna happen, you know? It's gonna thank happen. Thank you so much. This thank so you. Much I will be right back with our last dose. And thank you again to Yvette coming true. Green's Ding Day. Yeah. The last dose.
So, growing up in Grenada, what you learn are the names that mean Grenada, yes. that mean something. The contributions they, the families make to Grenada, it's usually because they provide amazing goods to people, or they're a great doctor family, yep. or a great... Educators. So... Seals always meant brilliant people. It, no, seriously, seriously. And you can go to their amazing store and get everything you want. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of how it is. There was like the Radix that were known yes. for being, you know, uh, and then the educators, uh, T.A. Mary shows, yes, the Mary shows. And, but Seals were right up there. And it's funny because when, when, when people say to me, uh, you're a Noel, do you know all the Noels? And uh, the actress that's in... Uh, um, that's in um, Black Panther. Someone, someone uh, sent me a note. Is that your cousin? I said she's my cousin today. Yes. <laughs> she's my cousin today because family names mean so much Listen, in Grenada. In Grenada, when you meet another Grenadian, the first thing you ask is, "What's your last name?" What's your last name? What's your last name? First thing. Yeah. I have a friend who we were walking into a, a, an event, and I was on the phone, and the person was like, "Oh, are you the girl in the purple shirt?" And I said, "No, I'm next to her." And I said, "And we were going to this like fake beach that they had made in <laughs> yeah, Queens." Yeah, yeah. And and they, <laughs> right that whole sentence, and they were like, "They were like, oh, well, are you ready for the beach?" And I was like, "This ain't no damn beach. I'm from Grenada." And the girl in the purple shirt was like, "You're from Grenada?" And then we looked at each other, and I we both it. had the Grenada pendant. Oh. And it was my friend Elgin Wadali. And Wadali is another Grenada. That's a name. name. That's Wadali. a name. Wadali. You know? So, but that, the first thing we ask is, what's your last name? What's I, your la-? And then we call our parents. Every single person I meet <laughs> from Grenada, I ask them what's their last That's name. That's the rule. And then, what parish? Exactly. Yeah. I'm from St. Andrews. St. Andrews. So, oh, green. Thanks for this. Show. <laughs>